This is episode 67 of the Magic Detective Podcast. On this episode, you'll hear about the life of Amadeo Vaca. That and more on this episode of the Magic Detective Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Magic Detective Podcast, your podcast home for magic history. I'm your host, Dean Carnegie. I am the Magic Detective, and this is episode 67. Well, I am back once again. Been busy on the moon, (laughs) and you'll understand that if you heard uh, the previous podcast. So let's get started on episode 67. First off, in the news department, the Magic Detective podcast has uh, hit the 20,000 download mark. We've actually passed it. And every time I hit one of these milestones, it blows my mind. I, I'm, I have to say I'm forever grateful to everyone who listens to the podcast and also forever thankful for those of you that have been sticking with the podcast, even though it seems like it takes an eternity for me to get them published. I will catch up, I promise you. Um, in the bad news department, uh, the magicdetective.com blog is still down three weeks and counting. I'm in Google hell. That's all I can say about that. Uh, Hopefully I will get it resolved soon. Um, I can, but just so you know, the site is still there. I can see it. I can go in and check it out, but I can't get it published to the domain. So it's a nightmare. And also in the bad news department, uh, this past weekend, Pam Thompson the wife of Johnny Thompson, the great Tom Sony, has, uh, she has passed away, and uh, she will be really, really missed. So um, rest in peace, Pam. The gentleman for today's feature is a bit of an enigmatic individual. He had a very successful performing career of his own, but he also had a very successful secret career as well. When I was putting this episode together, I really had the secret aspect in mind, but honestly, I grew to become enamored with who he was and his amazing career. Amadeo Vaca was born in Cantalupo, Nisanillo, Italy, on June 30th, 1890. This according to Ancestry.com. Many magic periodicals give his birthplace as Campo Basso, Italy, which I believe is in the same region. Apparently, he was enthralled with magic ever since a young boy. He would catch every performance of magic that he could. He absorbed magic. Clearly, this young man was destined to become a magician. Every traveling magician that came to his town was sure to find young Amadeo in the audience. And then, when he had witnessed enough magic, he put on a show of his own for the neighborhood children. Now, for his shows, you had to have a ticket to attend his shows, even at this early age. But, fortunately, the cost of a ticket was a mere button. That's right, just a button. Amadeo later would sell these buttons to his father, who worked as a tailor. And I, when I found this out, I thought, what a brilliant piece of marketing and business genius. He knew children had no money, but they surely had buttons. And he knew his father needed buttons. It was a win-win scenario. Genius. 
His older sister had moved to America and at one point sent for Amadeo to move there too. He came to America in 1906. He lived in Bridgeport, Connecticut, and quickly began to witness the American brand of magic with such notables as Blackstone, Jero, Hardeen, and more. And I'm sure this gave the young Amadeo a feeling of confidence that he made the right move coming to the U.S., He was working in various factories at the time around Bridgeport during the week and saving his money to invest in his future career in magic. He would purchase many props from Martinkas and other magic shops to build his show. Eventually, he was so loaded with equipment and a rabbit and more, it was unreal. He tested his material out at local talent contests and then finally made that difficult decision he decided it was time to turn pro. What he soon discovered, though, was the amount of props he was traveling with required an assistant. Between the rabbit, the props, and the assistant, Amadeo's income was decreasing pretty fast. So the quick solution was to downsize the props, and he was able to drop the assistant and eventually drop the rabbit. His talents brought him to Chicago and to the offices of the West Vaudeville Managers Association. With the boldness and brashness that might even make Harry Houdini jealous, Amadeo went straight to the head booker and proclaimed, I'm Vaca, the world's greatest magician, and if you can get me my price, I may consider permitting you the honor of booking me. And just like that, they booked him. Granted, it was on a trial basis, but he got in. And his performance at the Allstate Theater was a success. He received good reviews, which meant he was on his way. His price, by the way, was $75 a week. He continued to work on his act, even downsizing it even more. But that didn't mean just to say downsizing was getting rid of the impact of the show. He was introducing all sorts of wonderful effects. They just didn't require massive props. And with each successive change, his act improved, and so did his weekly income. Before long, he was working the top spots and bringing home $200 a week. His act was unique at this point. Fire eating, paper tearing, 20th century silks, and more. It was small enough to carry very easily, but large enough to be seen throughout a large theater. He was the epitome of packs small, plays big. His act was so big at one point, he followed Eva Tanguay as the headliner of a theater. And then he began to headline everywhere. He went on the road and again, top of the bill, Amadeo was riding high. Then something happened. A visit to a magic shop would become a life-changing event. The thought of this, (laughs) the thought of this makes me chuckle. How many a young person's life has changed after their first visit to a magic shop. Of course, there was a time for that. Now there are less magic shops, so I guess it doesn't happen as frequently anymore, but there was a time. And here, with Amadeo, a seasoned professional, and yet it happened to him as well. He went to August Roderberg's shop in Chicago. It wasn't his first time here by any stretch. It's just that this day, there was someone else in the shop. Now, Think about this. Here's Vaca playing top of the bill everywhere he went, but he walks into this magic shop and he is dumbstruck. He can hardly speak. There, a few feet away from him, 
is Houdini. August Roderberg introduced a young man. I, I say young man. He was 30 <laughs> at the time. He greeted Amadeo pleasantly, Houdini did, and then showed him a trick. And I don't know what trick it was that he showed, likely something simple, but then Amadeo, who moments before was as shy as a church mouse, suddenly proclaimed that he could do that trick better than Houdini. <laughs> and this caused much laughter among Houdini and Roderberg, but the young man proceeded to do the trick for them, and Houdini was impressed. And I have to stop here for a second because we're always bombarded with these tales of Houdini and his huge ego, and yet here he is standing in front of a much younger performer and acknowledging his skill. And I know this was the fact because Houdini then invited Amadeo to visit him at his home the next time he was in New York City. It would take Amadeo Vaca two years before he would show up at Houdini's doorstep, but show up he did. The year was 1923. Little did Vaca know his life was really going to change now. Houdini and Vaca really hit it off. Houdini recognized the brilliance and intelligence of Vaca and put him to work. Literally, he put him on the payroll and put him to work. But his was to be a secretive work. Houdini didn't want anyone to know of their relationship. In truth, he hid Amadeo in plain sight. And here's how he did it. He set him up in his own barber shop not far from Houdini's home. Vaca would be the head barber. Not knowing anything about being a barber, <laughs> Houdini uh, sent Vaca to have uh, to night school to learn the trade. The two would meet almost daily for a shave and then discuss their various plans. And in the magic trade magazines, Amadeo is often referred to as the magic barber. And it's that little tip that makes me believe that he possibly continued to perform in some manner or another. After all, he was a headliner back in Chicago and other areas of the U.S., so he could have easily continued his engagements without ever exposing his relationship with Houdini. Now, before I get too far into this, Vaca was not Houdini's secret barber. That was an alias. Amadeo did a lot of things for Houdini, but it was all behind the scenes. He worked as an advance man when Houdini was touring with his show, Again, a secret advance man. What's funny is, he was mostly secret from Houdini's own staff. Hardin didn't know about Vaca. Bess Houdini didn't know about Vaca. But often, theater management would know. And here's why. Check out this letter from B.F. Keith's Vaudeville Exchange, Edward Alvey President to Managers of the Alhambra and Regent Theaters in New York City. This is a letter. Listen, it goes like this. Dear Sirs, this will introduce you to Mr. A. Vaca, who is connected with Mr. Harry Houdini's act. We have agreed with Mr. Houdini that Mr. Vaca is to be permitted to make certain experiments on the stage of either of your theaters at night after the show is out. These experiments are necessary in order to have new things in Houdini's act, and they are to be conducted in absolute secrecy. No one should be in the house except the watchman. They will need one small light on the stage. When Mr. Vodka presents this letter to you, will you please arrange so that he can gain access to the stage at night 
by applying to the watchman. Very truly yours, so-and-so and so-and-so. Houdini apparently said to Vodka, Now I have placed myself, my entire life and salvation, in your hands. This was in reference to the upcoming war on mediums that would play out in Houdini's three-in-one shows. One of Amadeo's jobs was to set up the theater that we heard just a moment ago with all the needed secret things in order for Houdini to do his show. But another one of his jobs was to help Houdini with his magic, and he was tasked with creating and building items for the show, mostly in the spiritualistic category. Now, in another uh, manner, Amadeo went so far as to rewire Houdini's house for secret sound. The original work on this had been done by one of Houdini's nephews, Louis C. Krauss, who worked for the Treasury Department. The idea was to wire the house with sort of a dictaphone system so that people talking in one room could be heard in another and then the information could be translated to Houdini. Vaca had an uncanny inventive ability and he rewired the house, making the system even better. Houdini used it not to spy on friends, but as part of an elaborate ESP mind-reading routine, and it never failed to astound the attendees. Fast forward to current times, the new owners of Houdini's house recently had some drywall work done and found that the house was filled with these unusual wires that they had no idea what they were for. You can blame Amadeo for that. One specific point of interest is that Houdini shared with Vaca his work on the needle trick, and Vaca later showed Houdini a special twist to the ending, and Houdini loved this twist and was going to include it in his own performances, but he died before he was able to do so. After Houdini died and Amadeo went back on the road performing, he became known for a time as the Needle King. Now, I believe the next thing is going to be a major revelation, at at least I've not seen this in print anywhere but just one place. And what I read said, Amadeo Vaca created the underwater, breathtaking coffin that Houdini used to great effect. Now, let's backtrack a bit. The actual coffin came from Boyertown Casket Company. In the book, Houdini, His Life and Art by Randy and Sugar, they say the casket was made according to Jim Collins' design. On the day that Houdini used it at the Shelton Hotel pool, Jim Collins was there in charge of all the proceedings. And apparently there is a photograph of the Shelton pool stunt with Amadeo in the background as well, though technically he was undercover. So if I read the paragraph correctly, Vaca created the stunt. It was his idea. That doesn't mean he built the prop, only that the idea for the stunt was his. For those unfamiliar, it all started with Hereward Carrington and Raman Bey, a so-called Egyptian faker, or fakir. Bey claimed, among other things, he could survive for long periods of time in an airtight coffin by going into a cataleptic trance. This got under Houdini's skin, and if this story is accurate, Vaca came to Houdini with the idea of the challenge in the submergible coffin. 
on August 5, 1926, after a great deal of testing and rehearsal and weight loss on Houdini's part, he prepared to do the stunt at the Shelton Hotel swimming pool in New York City. After being checked by a physician, Houdini climbed inside the metal coffin and the lid was sealed in place. It actually took eight swimmers to stand on top of the casket in order for it to stay submerged. Houdini remained in the casket longer than Raman Bey did. Houdini stayed submerged for more than an hour and a half. He was 52 at the time. When he emerged from the casket, he was exhausted, and his vital signs were, well, one source says they were quite normal, and another said they were all over the place. Now, Houdini probably would have killed himself had he stayed in the coffin very much longer. But one point should be made. He didn't need to go into any sort of cataleptic trance in order to complete the test. He just used pure willpower as well as controlled breathing and laying perfectly still. It's impossible to say what other ideas, concepts, or props Amadeo Vaca had a hand in. And I have to be honest, when I began to look at some of Vaca's magic creations, one of my earliest thoughts was that Vaca probably built the bell box that both Marjorie and Houdini used, even though I've seen it attributed to someone else. And now I'm pretty certain he had a hand in the Margie box too. It's only speculation on my part, but Vaca was working for Houdini during this time. And one of his jobs was the creation of unique items and secretive work. And at the time, the most important work Houdini was doing was the anti-spiritualistic work. So this perfectly fits in. Amadeo Vaca created a lot of magic, but some of it involved either electricity or early electronics. That Shelton Pool casket was not electronic, but it did have a phone line built in that Houdini used to communicate with Collins. That phone line, that sounds like Amadeo Vaca. The bell boxes are run off of batteries. Again, sounds like Amadeo Vaca. One note I found interesting, Amadeo swore to Houdini to keep the relationship secret. Yet, by 1930, if not sooner, the cat was out of the bag, so to speak. In Billboard magazine, November 1930, there was an article about Vaca being a secret assistant to Houdini. Though I can't help but wonder that maybe some theater manager was the one that revealed this to the press. The theater managers were some of the people who knew of the secret working relationship between Vaca and Houdini, and yet the magic world seemed silent on the subject. Maybe they missed the article altogether. It wasn't until 1947 that the truth of Vaca's relationship with Houdini was revealed, and even then, much was held back. After Houdini's unexpected death, in October 1926, Amadeo Vaca left the barbershop in pursuit of his magic career. Over the course of his life, he would be known by many names. Early on, they called him Vaca, but in the latter part of his career, they called him Amadeo. But yet, he was also known as the human volcano because of his crazy smoke act he created. He would apparently eat cigarettes and matches and produce incredible amounts of smoke from his mouth. Eventually, he reproduced the items. Doesn't that sound kind of like Tom Mullica's act? 
Interesting. Here's a write-up from Mum Magazine in 1953. Amadeo Vaca has been traveling in Europe. He has journeyed to England, France, Germany, and Switzerland. Recently, he has been appearing in nightclubs in Italy. In September, Compier Vaca planned to be in Milan to appear on television. After this, Naples was his next on his itinerary, then England again for TV and club dates. In each country, he attended as many magic functions as possible and spent much time with the local magicians. He will return to New York in December. Another charming creation of Vaca's was the acrobatic matchbox. There's a wonderful story in, in The Mum that George Schindler shares about going into an early morning TV show with Frank Garcia and Amadea Vaca. They were there to promote a show for the public, and Frank did some amazing card tricks. George then gave the details of this uh, public show and how to get tickets and so forth. And then 80-year-old Amadeo Vaca presented the acrobatic matchbox to a stunned TV crew. Later that morning, according to George, the three of them were going to breakfast in the city when a woman came up to Amadeo saying, didn't I see you on TV with that little matchbox? She was so excited to meet a real celebrity. <laughs> she paid no attention to either Frank or George. Amadeo performed in 23 countries and was active in magic for 65 years. He headlined in both the United States and in European countries as well. He even performed on the ill-fated Andrea Doria cruise liner. He never seemed to lose his ability to perform, even into his 80s. One of his last gigs was a magic lecture at Al's Magic Shop in Washington, D.C. George Schindler drove him down to D.C. to do the lecture. And though Al's was my go-to magic shop for years, this lecture was actually before my time. I was fortunate enough, though, to get a first-hand account of Amadeo Vaca from someone who was very close to him in his last years. That would be Ron from ronjo.com. Ron was just a teenager when he first met Amadeo. It was at a Tannins Jubilee, and apparently some unknown magician had just carelessly bumped into Amadeo and caused him to uh, drop his cane. And young Ron picked up the cane and gave it back to the elder gentleman, and that was it. The two bonded during the course of this convention and became fast friends. Ron told me that as a person, Amadeo was extremely kind, extremely generous, and was a wonderful storyteller. He told me Amadeo was in Ripley's Believe It or Not for his human volcano routine and also for his swallowing needle routine. Amadeo was an avid inventor of tricks as well as gimmicks. He created a belly switch and foot switch before anyone. He created hand flashers, often with the simplest of supplies. Ron actually carries a couple of Amadeo's items in his shop even today. He was given permission by Amadeo to continue to build and sell them. Items such as Lucky Light and Sneaky Snake. The former is a strange Monte sort of effect done with a small black box, some switches, and a light. Totally diabolical. Now, I asked Ron about what kind of props Amadeo made for Houdini, and he said seance and electrical. And again, that makes me think of the bell boxes, even though they're attributed to someone else. There was one thing Ron said about Amadeo that really made me laugh and also made me admire the man even more. 
He said, Amadeo hated card tricks. <laughs> that is fabulous. Such a creative and inventive man, and yet he avoided card tricks. That's incredible. In the 1970s, Frank Garcia and George Schindler met with Amadeo on a book of his life and magic. They met numerous times at his apartment, putting the text together. I should mention that Frank and George had written a number of books like Million Dollar Card Secrets, Super Subtle Card Miracles, and In a Nutshell. And there was one thing that made each of those books unique. Each one had a recipe at the end of the book. Yes, a food recipe. There was a chicken dish, a meatloaf dish, a baklava dish. Uh, so when the manuscript for Amadeo's book was done, they showed it to him and he hated it. Why? Had no recipe. <laughs> so they included a recipe by Amadeo. Uh, <laughs> which is wonderful. And by the way, young Ron was there the whole time. Ron and Amadeo spent a lot of time together sharing magic, building props, enjoying each other's company. They had a grandfather-grandson relationship. And there's only one regret that Ron has, and that he, he was supposed to inherit Amadeo's scrapbook after he passed. But the book, the scrapbook, was apparently given to Bill White from Queens, by Amadeo's wife. Amadeo Vaca, a man who started out in humble beginnings, worked his way up to headliner in Chicago, went to work for the great Houdini in an extremely undercover fashion, and then returned to magic and toured the world, performing before kings and queens and playing all the best theaters and hotel venues across the globe with his own unique brand of magic. He was named Magician of the Year by the Society of American Magicians in 1972. And when you talk to folks who knew him, they light up when talking about him. They were blessed people to have known him. Amadeo Vaca passed away on December 5th, 1974. Assembly number 125 in Suffolk County, New York, changed their name to the Amadeo Vaca Assembly. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Magic Detective Podcast. If so, please like the podcast in whatever way your podcast device will allow. Uh, by the way, if you wouldn't mind, go to ronjo.com, which is R-O-N-J-O.com, and check out his site of magic. Ron has one of the few brick-and-mortar buildings left in the U.S., and it would really be awesome if you could drop by or maybe order something from the shop. That would be great. And he did not ask me to do that. I'm just throwing that out there for you. Oh, and also, if anyone has any knowledge as to the whereabouts of Amadeo Vaca's scrapbook, would you mind contacting me and letting me know? Uh, I'm going to pass that info on to Ron. Uh, we know it was in the possession of a, a Bill White from Queens. No idea if Bill is still alive or if he is, if he still has the scrapbook. So if you know anything about this, please uh, get in touch with us. That would be great. And that's going to do it for this episode of the Magic Detective Podcast. I hope you've enjoyed this one. I certainly had. My name is Dean Carnegie. I am the Magic Detective. Please be well and be safe.